Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus. Lazarus is the Greek term or the Greek rendering of the Hebrew word Eliezer. Eliezer, if you recall from the scripture, he was a servant of Abraham. And his name literally meant help or strength. In fact, the name uh, that was translated uh, Eve in the Bible is Ezer, or for woman, forgive me, is Ezer, which means strength or help. She was a Ezer or help me uh, sent from the Lord for her husband. And uh, this individual had a tremendous name. Obviously, he had a tremendous testimony. He had a, a reputation of God being his help. But what's interesting is the Bible says, now a man named Lazarus, that's a good name. But the contrast here, and, and I, I guess the paradox, the, the, dip, the, the, the odd statement, is that a man that God was helping was sick. He was infirm. He lacked strength. He was weak, he was in need. And the reality is those of us that walk with God, even though we have a reputation of of being followers of Christ, we will have moments that we will be like this Lazarus and and suffer need. But we're going to find from this passage, this doesn't mean we're any less the children, friends, or servants of God than anyone else. In fact, It might mean more so, but you're going to have to hear me as we move forward. You still with me? He was from where? Bethany, a suburb of Jerusalem, which distinguishes the Bible from many of the other mythological books like, you know, the Greek uh, myths of the various gods, the the, the Vegas and the the Baghdad Vedas and all that stuff from India, is that most of that stuff was based in myth. There were no historic, except maybe for one or two individuals that those stories came from. And the Bible is different in that every time a miracle is recorded, you could go to that village. Now, right now, it doesn't matter because we're 2000 years removed. But in the first century, when this was written, uh, you could go to that village and you could look, go to Bethany. Go to the villagers. You could look for Lazarus. You could look for Mary. You could look for Martha. And if they had deceased, you could look for their children. And uh, the Bible was very careful to point out details because what happened was a matter of fact. They were not trying to develop some type of high Christology. They weren't trying to, you know, uh, just, you know, uh, blow smoke or, uh, you know, how do you say that politely? I don't know. Uh, I've been doing this both services. God will give me politeness perhaps by the time I get home. But uh, nonetheless... Uh, there, there's a number of facts here that uh, really communicate this message is historical and accurate. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister, Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus, now lay what? Was the same one, this woman has a history, who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. He was from a family of true worshipers. He was from a a family that loved God, but nonetheless, he found himself, what, sick. So the sisters did what any good sister should do, sent word to Jesus. And it's interesting, the message they send, it tells you a whole lot about their relationship. 
Jesus often, when he traveled to uh, uh, Jerusalem, he would stay at their home. Obviously, he enjoyed their company. Uh, he had a, a great level of relationship with this family. He was God, but he was also man, and he related to people, and he had friendly conversations. If there was a basketball game, he might have uh, talked about it with Lazarus, you know, and it was all types of conversation he had outside of, of, of you know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus was a real man. You know, he talked about things. In fact, we look at the Bible. He was a man by a pool of Bethesda. Remember, all he did was start up a conversation. How long you been here? And out of that conversation came tremendous healing. But nonetheless, he had this, this friendship. He had this relationship with this family. And she sends the message, Lord, still respect, Master, the one you love, the man you love like a brother, your close personal friend, Phileas in the Greek, is sick. So here you have a friend of God, sick. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Jesus went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. But his friend is sick. When he heard this, Jesus is not the typical pastor. He's not like the rabbis. Jesus does not, you know, give the typical canned phrases. It'll be all right by and by. One day you will go and meet your brother. He looks the messenger squarely in the eye. And he takes the prerogative of God. God is distinct in that he always knows the end from the beginning. In fact, in the book of Revelations, the Bible says, he is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. Only God understands the end from the beginning. So he steps back and he says, this sickness didn't say it wouldn't hurt didn't say the fever would go away. He did not say that it would be easy on this family. But as God taken on flesh, he said, this sickness will not end. He was more concerned about the end than the middle or even the beginning. It's wonderful that you began this race with God. But my greatest concern is not that you began, but that you ended well. Are you hearing me? My kids, you know, thank God they're in a Christian family. You know, they love Jesus and everything. But, you know, that's nice right now. They're under my roof. My concern is more about the end than even where they are at the moment. The sickness will not what end and what death. End is the part of an area that lies at its border. And what God was saying is, I have established the boundaries for this man. Just like with Brother Job, you remember? God said, I have put a, I have hedged him in. I have put a fence around him. But you'll find when you become a friend of God, God has a way of trying to talk about you in the spirit realm. So was the case with Job. The devil, God having conversation. Have you met my servant Job? You see, when you first come to Christ, you have wonderful high experiences because it's all new and fresh. And God wants to make you know that you're loved beyond anything else. But as we grow, we have to move from the outer court into the inner court. We have to move from that outward experience of, Lord, meet my needs and give me more friends to, Lord, I want to be your friend. I want to experience you in a deeper measure. Are you tracking with me? But as the relationship changes, so does the responsibility. And here, this man was not just someone in a bless me relationship with Jesus. This was a man that was a friend of God. And when you become God's friends, the issue is not always your comfort. 
the greater issue we're going to discover in this next sentence. Let me keep reading. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not what end. He said, my concern is the end of this thing. I realize what you're going through, but in the end, it will speak and not lie. I know the plans I have for you to give you a hope and a future plans to prosper you. But the people he spoke that to had to suffer 70 years in captivity. And it was only after that time was completed that they found out the goodness and, and the end, if you will, game of God. Let's keep going. He said, no, the sickness is not ended. No, it is for God's glory. It is for what? Many people in a church world make such statements, but they're sadistic because they make this statement. Well, you're sick is to the glory of God. They make that statement to kind of make the person comfortable in their sickness. And but but with no view to an end of them getting up. But just because that's the religious thing to say. The only reason Jesus said this was to my glory was because he saw the end of the thing. The only way that what what we go through can be to the glory of God is if we give God the end of it. Are are, are you tracking with me? He said, no, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified. What? Through it, not with it, through it. Lazarus had to go through it. When you go through a tunnel, you have to go from one side to the other. You have to go from sickness to health to go through it. Are you tracking with me? It's when you go through it that God gets, God, I thought you loved me. God said, because I love you, I'm asking you to go through this tunnel called life. There's going to be pains. There's going to be griefs. But if you are faithful to keep moving while you're in the tunnel, you will get to the other side. And when you get to the other side, lift up both hands and give me all the honor and glory for bringing you through. Are you you with me still? And then the Bible keeps emphasizing the point. Jesus loved Martha. These are not distant people. Those God loves sometimes go through stuff that others don't have to experience. Many of us thought when we got saved, by virtue of our salvation, we'd be immune to the pressures and vicissitudes of life. But we find because we're friends of God, Paul says, shipwreck, left for dead. You hear what I'm saying? All because we're friends. Matter of fact, they were questioning Paul's authority. He said, trouble me no more. For I bear on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Forget about my title. Look at my back. Because those that, 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 that God loves have to go through his beating. They also have to take up a cross and follow him. You're going to learn some things. Stay with me. The Bible doesn't have exclamation points in the way the Bible emphasizes points through what? Repetition. We've been saying that a lot. So he says again, Jesus loved Martha. But this time he used a different Greek word. The first one was Phileas, where we get Philadelphia, brotherly love. But now he says, God has a swearing love, a agape love. That's a love that makes you swear. That's a love that I will die for you. You know, before you go hungry, I'll cut off my arm and feed you. He's talking about covenant love, that I, that, that I will do everything within my power. You see, friends, you might walk away, but, but covenant love is a different thing. And, and it says here that Jesus had swearing love for this family who has a sick family member. 
Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And you think, Lord, if you love me, why the delay? Sometimes the delay is because he loves you. Listen to me carefully. They were asking for healing. There's nothing wrong with asking for healing. Jesus, by nature, is a healer. Jehovah Rophe, the Lord God that heals, is his nature. His name's represent his name. It comes out of God. He's just a healer. He's a fixer. Yes. You know, if, 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 you know, I have a dentist friend. He's a dentist. He fixed teeth all day. Every time he looks at me, he wants to go like this. Why? I have a gap between my teeth. And by nature of his job, he just wants to always fix my teeth. He's, he's even come up with different plans. You know, can I send you some stuff from Atlanta? Because it's his nature. And when your nature is something, you can't help but do it. Healing is not just some doctrine. It's the nature of God. Salvation is not just some doctrine. He gets around sinners and he starts, no, no, no. I need to get you saved. I need to get you washed. He starts trying to put those teeth. It's his nature. So when you get in his presence, he's trying to clear up your mind, straighten you out, because that's who he is. Verse 6, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days. They were asking for healing, but Jesus had something bigger in mind. It's not that Jesus was saying no, he was saying more. And sometimes it's not that he's saying no to his friends, but he's saying, I have so much more. Are you tracking? Verse 7. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. The sun had risen and sat twice. He seemed to ignore the family crisis. Let's skip to 11. After he had said this, he went on to them, speaking of his disciples. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. Jesus intentionally starts messing with the disciples. He knows the conclusion they're going to come to. But Jesus has a way of making statements to help locate the people that he's talking to verse 12 his disciples replied lord if he sleeps he will get what better but jesus had been speaking of his death but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep that's why we need to wait on hearing from god because we we, lord show me what you mean by what you said you hear me 14 so then he told them plainly lazarus is dead and for your sake i am glad do we read that right now, your best friend dies. You get the message. He's, I'm glad. What type of man? What type of God? The only people that can rejoice in the midst of such a crisis are people that know the end from the beginning. The Bible says in one place, Mark eleven twenty two through 24, have the faith of God. The faith of God is something or someone that knows the end from the beginning and rests in the middle. Are you tracking with me? He says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad. Now, the term there is literally means rejoice, which actually means Jesus said, he, 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 he's dead. When you walk after the Spirit, you're not going to make sense sometimes to the carnal mind. Some scholars will tell you that Jesus never smiled. There's no record of him laughing, but the reality is that's not true. You cannot rejoice looking like this. There has to be a smile. All of a sudden, I mean, the intensity of the moment, he's dealing with his disciples, and, and he said, Lazarus is dead, and suddenly he breaks into a laugh and a smile, and it seems mean. I'm glad he's dead, and you'll be surprised. Some of the things we're crying over in our lives, God's like, I'm glad that happened. What? And we don't understand it, but God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Because what happened to you was a mere opportunity for God to reveal himself to you in a way like never before. So he said, Lazarus, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that you may what? Believe. What's the issue? Them, them believing. Well, what's, is, listen, if I just heal you, you'll just have faith for healing. I don't want you just to have faith for healing. I want you to have a higher type of faith. Though he slay me, yet shall I live. You hear what I'm saying? I was not there so that you may believe. But, but let us go to him. Verse 16. Then Thomas called Didymus said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go with him that we might, what, die with him. These guys, are, uh, they, Jesus has lost his mind, but, but we love him. So I guess we would just go down with him and be killed too. When faith fails, at least have courage. You hear me? They didn't believe they were good, but they had courage. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for what? That doesn't strike us as an interesting point that you need to mention in the Bible because dead is dead. But the reality is they, this was not modern, modern world. They didn't have, a, I don't even remember what you call those screens where you just had a flat line. What are they called? Uh, okay, no one knows the name of the screen. Okay, what's that? Yeah, EKG, whatever it is. Um, they didn't have all that. And every now and then someone would kind of go into a coma and wake up. So what happened over history and over time is the rabbis developed various theories and, and uh, traditions on uh, uh, why that happens. But the end tradition was that a spirit stayed around a body for no more than three to, to near the, the end of a, the beginning of the fourth day. And at that point, it could no longer stay in the earth and had to go home. The point that's being made here is that Jesus wanted to wait till it was absolutely impossible until everyone knew that death was irrevocable, that the situation was irreversible. Sometimes God waits, not because he doesn't love you, but because he's setting you up to believe bigger, to receive, you understand, to receive larger. He's trying to stretch you, trying to pull you. Never lack of love. But Christ had vision. And he had a vision for the type of faith he wanted his disciples to have. The disciples that changed the world and wrote our Bible were not like the, the, the some, some 14, 15, 16, 17th century scholars that the many of us base our church denominations and the rest on. These were men with living, vibrant faith. They did not just have faith that when I die, I'll go to heaven. They had resurrection faith, which is a whole different category. That's a faith that even in life, God will get me up as many times as necessary that I might fulfill my purpose and move forward in, my, in God's plan. He's been in the tomb uh, quite a, a few days. No worldly hope of recovery. Here in Romans, the Bible talked about Abram hoping against what? Hope. We have a situation where there's no natural hope. And that was exactly what God wanted Lazarus. Is there anyone in this room that has no natural hope? And you cried and you whined, and you might even blame God up to this point. But all you are is in the situation God wants you to be, because he's about to show himself strong. Verse 18, if he helped you too quickly, you never receive the goodness of God in this level. Bethany was less than, what, two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, 
If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. First of all, as I taught last night, you bring your complaints to God. Don't complain about God. You bring them to God. The Bible said David poured out his complaint. He poured out his heart to God. And at least these women did that, even though they were wrong. But I need you to hear what they're saying in this statement. In effect, they're saying, Jesus, you killed the master because you didn't show up. And many times in our lives, when we don't get an answer to prayer, we begin to blame God. Lord, if you were here, if you really love me, if you really with me, this thing would not have happened. I would have been spared this thing. And these women have the same mentality, the same mind, very much like you and I today. If you had been, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you want. Okay, I don't know. I'm questioning you being the Messiah because I think the Messiah would be more merciful, more compassionate, more love. And there'd be times in your walk that life will hit you so hard. You almost want to change the title of God. You, 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 you move from being a believer and you say, well, I can't be an atheist. I know God is. But let me say I'm agnostic. I just, I can't really know him. And maybe, maybe, you know, I, I, let me tell you, I've been so tested in my faith that there was a period in my, my 20s that I was, I was so beaten that I was like, Lord, maybe I presumed. Maybe you are. I can't deny you are. But I presumed thinking I could know you and that I can concretely trust you. So it took me months that the thing was so hard to heal my heart to get to a place of faith. Has anyone in this room ever kind of been there? Okay, not a lot of hands are going up, but live long enough. You might see something. But the point is God knows how to bring you back. Amen. He said, but I know that even now you are a man of God still. I mean, maybe not the Messiah, though, but you're a man of God. And God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Jesus is intentionally being ambiguous. He knows how she's going to respond. He's drawing her out. God will set up situations in your life to intentionally draw you out, to have a certain conversation with him that exposes your doubt that you, you pretend it wasn't there, that exposes your lack of conviction when, when you, you really thought it would. You hear what I'm saying? Life will draw out of you what's really in And Jesus asks a question that causes her to give an answer. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.